Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. With ZocDoc, you can find the right doctor for you in your network and in your neighborhood, one that makes you feel like you are in good hands. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. This is so huge. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun, book an appointment easily, in person or remotely. And if you guys want to check it out, you can go to ZocDoc.com blonde. And download the ZocDoc app for free. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits, and I'm bringing it to you real and unfiltered. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I have such an interesting episode today for you guys. I had a special interest in this, I guess we'll say, because I have always wondered, like, where do I fall in the spectrum? So I am talking to Robin Stern. She is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist in Florida, New York, and California who's been practicing since 2012. And she specializes in body dysmorphic disorder and OCD. And I feel like, especially with the prevalence of social media, plastic surgery, filters, all of this, we all must fall somewhere on the spectrum, not necessarily with an actual disorder, but with feeling dysmorphic thoughts, I guess. I don't know if this is even the correct way to say it about our bodies and our appearance. And, you know, being somebody like myself who I've had multiple surgeries over the years and I do a lot of things maintenance wise, I have wondered, like, do I struggle with this? Do I think that it's, you know, nothing, but it's actually something? And so we talk about it in this episode and we go over everything from what separates actual body dysmorphic disorder from, like I just said, you know, feeling maybe self-conscious or having things that you dislike about your body or things that you want to change and kind of everything in between. And we talk about how to navigate this if you do struggle with it and how to cultivate a better self-image and so much more. So I hope that you guys love this episode. Please enjoy Robin Stern. Okay, welcome, Robin. I'm really excited to have you here. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this conversation and your podcast today. Thank you. We were just talking before I pressed record about how prevalent the issue of body dysmorphia seems to be. And I know that I heard you on Lala's podcast. So I know that saying, you know, oh, I have body dysmorphia is a little bit like saying, oh, I'm OCD, like if you aren't. So we're going to be talking about body dysmorphic disorder, the actual disorder, and then also maybe the different places on the scale where people may tend to fall because, you know, I was telling you, I put up a story saying that we were going to be talking about this and I just got inundated with questions. And that just tells me that this is something that really resonates with a lot of people, whether they suffer with an actual disorder or if it's just, you know, negative thought patterns that intrusive and all of that. So to start, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about you and how you came to focus on this? Because I know that this is something that you have struggled with yourself as well. Yes. So my name is Robin Stern. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am a BDD expert. I also practice in New York, New Jersey, California, and Florida. And I specialize in treating BDD, body dysmorphic disorder, disordered eating, OCD, and also body-focused repetitive behaviors like skin picking and hair pulling. I have always been in the helping profession. I myself have body dysmorphic disorder and I was diagnosed at 22. I'm 42. So I've had it for 20 years. I definitely had it a lot longer. And I had gone into the helping profession long before I thought I was going to be a therapist and long before I ever thought I was going to help people in this way. I, if you would have asked me 15, even probably 10 years ago, would I ever talk about this? I would say absolutely not. Nobody knew I had it. My family knew. It was something I only disclosed in my late 20s to boyfriends that it was met with such mixed reaction. So I never necessarily felt like it was something that I was going to be like on this platform to publicly speak or like talk about this and definitely not bringing in my personal story. So it's just kind of evolved this way. But I always tell people that I wish I had somebody like myself speaking because then maybe it would have helped propel me forward in a recovery that I would love to see clients get to. So that's essentially kind of a little bit of my story. And I like to say that I'm in recovery, but it is a chronic condition. So it's something that I kind of maintain and use the tools and strategies so that I can stay healthy day to day. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that would be a really difficult recovery and that like I'm in recovery from drugs and alcohol. I'm almost nine years sober. And that is also something where I maintain it on a daily basis with my tools and my toolkit. But I don't have to ever pick up a drink or a drug again. Whereas, you know, I always feel like people with eating disorders, people with, you know, body dysmorphic disorder, you have to live in your body and you see yourself every day and you have to eat every day and and all of these things. So how is that recovery been for you if you can if you're willing to talk about that so i will be honest and this is a little bit of a trigger alert that like Mm -hmm. a bunch of my because just like a lot of people and even with their journey to sobriety they can have relapses i've definitely had relapses over the last 20 years and oftentimes my recovery equaled me being very satisfied with what I saw in the mirror. And that is not actually true recovery. And that actually continued to lead me to relapse even more. And I think for me, where I got to more of like a sustainable recovery was when I kind of accept this notion that I don't really know what it is that I look like. 
And that's a very, I don't know if most people can understand that. And even sometimes when I hear myself say it, I don't know if it really translates well to other people. But essentially, body dysmorphic disorder, from the studies they've seen, the people like my brain lights up differently and processes my image differently, which means that I'm truly never going to actually see what other people see. And that has given me a sense of peace, but also a major loss because while I want to be clear, we are all more than our physical appearance. I think most people can see themselves and I essentially cannot. And if I was to try to figure out what I looked like, and if I was tried to, let's say, go back into the mirror all the time or go to plastic surgeons or to try to alter myself, I could essentially get to a place where I may not be able to live anymore. And so each and every day, I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's more difficult than other days. You know, I'm a mom. And so my child gives me life, you know, I'm a single mom. I have a practice that's thriving and family. And that gives me like this motivation to want to be present, but it is not always that easy because like you said, you're living in your body. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things with body dysmorphic disorder is you can't leave yourself. And I think that that's a hard thing when you're dealing with recovery. It's like, you have to find something bigger than yourself. And I know in sobriety, the same Mm -hmm. thing, because if it is yourself, that's not going to work because we're our, like my brain was my bully. So like, if I'm going to rely on myself to be well, then I'm not going to make it. So I have like the bigger part of, of the recovery was kind of finding other things that I could define myself as. And, and unfortunately, like I said, it, to me, it was a grieving thing to grieve, not knowing what it is I look like or, and I don't know. I think most people do, you know, I think Mm -hmm. most people, they may not love every aspect of themselves, but kind of has a sense of who they are. I mean, I could, if I, even if I spent two hours in the mirror now and I'm in recovery, I could lose sense of who I am. Like, I don't know exactly what I'm looking at. And, and, and so I just try to make my day about other things and know that, that I can't really focus on that. I was talking to somebody in the wellness world recently who is definitely an authority, and we were talking about how we're so cognizant of the water that we drink, but we are not really concerned about the water that we shower in. Like We all know to filter the water that we drink, but why not the water that we shower in? So many of our skin and hair issues actually start with our water, like dry skin, acne, damaged hair, eczema, change in hair color, rashes, even hair loss. The water that we shower in is fundamental to the quality of our hair and skin. So that's why Jolie is tackling the root cause with the Jolie filtered shower head. I personally have struggled with so many of these issues as a result of the water that I was showering in. So I have suffered from dry skin. I've had acne. I have had so many hair problems from my hair color turning really brassy to getting a lot of buildup to my hair being really brittle and dry, even hair loss. And 
with the Jolie filtered shower head, all of those problems got so much better. My hair is so soft. My hair color lasts so much longer. Thank God. This is a real problem for people with colored hair. So if you're not sure why your color is changing really quickly, you're finding that you have to go back to the salon really often, it might be your shower water. So Jolie is so easy to install and you can just feel good about the water that you are not only showering in, it's going all over your skin, your largest organ. And by filtering your shower water, you're getting to the root cause of the problem and eliminating the contaminants, preventing you from having your best skin and hair. Jolie is built to remove chlorine and heavy metals, which are the main culprits causing damage to our skin and hair. So think about how much you invest in your hair care, your products, your skincare, your treatments, all of that. Protect that with a simple switch to Jolie's filtered shower head. Get filtered shower water at www.jolieskinco.com or follow them at Jolie Skin Co. on Instagram to learn more. That's J-O-L-I-E Skin C-O. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411. And sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's so interesting that you said that you had periods where you were really loving what you saw and that was not recovery either. And I think that that's important though for anybody, wherever they fall with all of this, because I feel like we get this messaging about self-love and loving what you see in the mirror and learning to love yourself. And it's like, you're still placing so much value on that. And that is not a constant thing. You know, we're aging, we're changing, we're fluctuating. Like, so to, I don't know, like get so much value based off of that, I think it's just such a precarious place to put yourself in. Right. And I mean, I know that people mean well by saying like, look in the Mm -hmm. mirror and say you love yourself. And I know every, and again, I want to be clear for some people that may work for me, that will never work for Mm -hmm. somebody with body dysmorphic disorder the mirror is not your friend. The mirror is the drink. The mirror is the thing that can take you out. And it's, it seems, it seems so hard. And sometimes like, I'll look back on stuff that I did and I'll like, I did this like whole documentary and, and I, and I sometimes wonder, can somebody really see the pain that I went through? Like they see me with this mirror, but do they know that this was like essentially like the dictator of whether or not I like went out of my home, like whether or not like I could show up for the day. And so, you know, for somebody with body dysmorphic disorder, yes, you want to love yourself, but it's 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 usually not going to be based upon like looking at yourself in the mirror and be like, I love you today. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I say to myself that I love myself and I try to tell myself of all the qualities that I have that make me a good person, but it will probably never be in front of a mirror because I could, it, it's just, it will throw me off and my brain doesn't like, it's, it's just, the image being there, it's just not ideal. So I would say like, while I think positive affirmations are amazing and I love them, I would say somebody, even anybody like on the spectrum of body image issues probably shouldn't be using the mirror. Because again, if you think about it, wherever you fall on the spectrum, if you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I'm be- 
yeah, you are beautiful. We're all beautiful humans. Mm-hmm. But if that's what your barometer is, you're still going back to be that as your defining like quality. Right. And we, we want to show that you're more than that. And it's, it is really hard in today's world, more so than ever. It is so hard to find yourself without looking and comparing yourself to other people. It's just, mm-hmm. it's virtually, you have to be like so strong in that because social media is just an open forum to it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's yeah. scary. And I think it's comparing yourself to other people and also this hyper awareness of what we look like. I mean, before Instagram stories came out, like I didn't have so many of the insecurities that I kind of like accumulated over the years of seeing myself and being like, oh, I don't like that, you know, my eyebrows are like that or like it's just certain little things that you start to notice. And I'm sure some of it comes comes from this kind of internalized beauty standard that we get from all the images of other people and all of that. So it, it is on some level a comparison to other people, but it's also this hyper awareness, you know, of like maybe maybe it's more for people who are like influencers or people who see themselves on. Sure camera all the time. But I feel like when I look back in my own kind of history with like my body image and all of that, and like, when did I start doing these little tweaks and stuff? And it really aligns with like when I became a full-time influencer and when I, you know, have photo shoots where I have to go through a thousand pictures of myself, like, and, you know, two of them are good in my mind, or I'm seeing myself on video and like selfie camera, you know, and that's when I started being like, oh, I can like tweak this. I can tweak that. And I've just done like, you know, little things over the years. So I do want to talk about like the actual spectrum. But yeah, I just thought of that. Like, I think that we are so aware of what we look like. Whereas when I was a teenager, thank God, there was no social media. There was nothing. Like we had YM magazine and that was pretty much (laughs) I forgot about it. And we all were like, you know, we still had insecurities, but like I cannot imagine being like a teenage girl right now or boy. Yeah, I I I miss it. I mean, I'm 42 and 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 I say like I lived a pretty like I mean, yes, I struggled. I want to be clear, mm-hmm. but like I feel like I lived more, right? Like I yeah. feel like there was more like I went away to college and like we were like we weren't like on our phones. We just cuz we didn't yeah. have that. We literally had like instant messenger. Like yeah. we're out, like we're downtown. Like there was no communication and it was like, it allowed us to just be friends with each other. It allowed us to be more in the moment. And I mean, obviously there's some amazing things to what the internet has brought. Like we connected, like you're able to influence so many people, like your story, all the things you share, like can reach so many people. And that wouldn't happen without this. Mm -hmm. I think it's about like, how do we find this balance? Because it is just it a lot. I mean, it scares me, the youth. It really does because they're growing up in filters. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though you didn't grow up in it and you still feel the pressure, like I can't even imagine growing up in it, like yeah. literally growing. I see it and I see like people that I went to college or high school with and their kids that are 12 and the kids look like they're 25. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Like you have your whole life to grow up. Like you, like it's, it's just, it's it's sad because you know no matter how much pain I've been through, I still could appreciate some aspects of a mm-hmm. of like I guess a basic childhood of yeah. growing up and not having that access, right? And and but yet still struggles, right? So that's just an example. Like what is given today to so many people 
it brings them struggle, but my struggle, and I want to make sure people know that, that are older, including myself, like my struggle was just as painful Mm -hmm. and it took me out just as much. I had multiple medical leaves. I missed a semester of college. I essentially was in very toxic relationships. And, and, you know, and I think like, that's what I love about the, like, you know, like podcasts, like yourself, like the talk about the honesty of that, because I think women need to come together and unite and hear about all the positivity because we Mm -hmm. all need each other. And I just, I, again, I just, I, I equally was struggled, obviously just had different things being thrown my way that affected me versus now you could just pop open an app and it's just like, you could lose yourself in like a matter of moments and it's, it's scary. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay. So what is body dysmorphic disorder? What are, what is the criteria for it to be a disorder? Okay. So want to be clear in saying that this is not a disorder of vanity or narcissism, that a person is preoccupied and obsessed with a feature, usually on their neck or above, but could be anywhere. It affects the same 50-50. Right now, it's only about 2 to 3% of the population. It's definitely underrepresented because people are not necessarily going to clinicians. They're going to plastic surgeons or dermatologists. It's people that have a minimal or non-existent, I don't like to use this word, but it's in the DSM-5 defect in their appearance that people cannot see. So that's a tremendous thing to say. And that's why, you know, when we look at BDD, the person with body dysmorphic disorder, an outsider, they may like notice a thing here and there, but it's not super obvious. So a person, let's say, that has very cystic acne, that's not to say that how they're responding to it is healthy and one would be able to help them with this type of therapy to live a better life, but they actually wouldn't meet criteria for body dysmorphic disorder. So in order to meet the criteria, it's let's say myself was my skin. So it's like me coming in, I would be coming in with like two pimples, but literally I couldn't handle what was, I thought my skin was awful. Like I was just distraught, like one pimple, one too many, but it was to the point where I felt like it was my identity. Like I want to be clear, like it wasn't just about People with BDD, it's not like, it's not like, I don't like what I see. Like I'm not pretty enough. You feel defective. You feel like unlovable. You feel unworthy. I mean, this is essentially what it is, is the appearance, like the area of concern takes on really the internal dialogue of how you feel about yourself. And if you think about it, it's a lot easier to change external things than it is to change internal dialogue. So once, and the question is, when does that happen? When does the internal dialogue go into your physical appearance? I know for me, I could definitely see where that happened, but essentially the person with BDD, you wouldn't even know what it is that they're concerned with. And if you were to even see it, you would be like, how is this taking you out? And essentially a person with body dysmorphic disorder, there's an interruption in their functioning. So their functioning is altered. They're having difficulty going to work. They're having difficulty going to school, maintaining friendships, relationships, family. So again, when you see somebody with body image concerns, yeah, they may not love aspects of themselves, but they're usually not avoiding things, right? So they're usually not like not living. Like what Mm -hmm. you'll see with someone with body dysmorphic disorder is when I get this nose job, then I'm going to date. When I get this nose job, I'm going to be famous and I'm going to be able to live and that's the biggest difference. And I think I want to be clear. It's not about like, don't get plastic surgery. It's not about don't filter. It's about the person with body dysmorphic disorder thinks they're going to be this whole other human being 
when this happens. And oftentimes their concern, usually no one else sees. So it's like this level of distress that comes along with it. No one else understands it objectively. And the person that has it is devastated and their life oftentimes is in shambles. You guys know I love my jewelry. I especially love earrings. I don't even know how many piercings I have in each ear, but I have huggies from top to bottom. I love stacking rings, bracelets, all of that. And my go-to for all of this is Missouri. So Missouri has such beautiful jewelry for whatever occasion. In fact, most people think about buying jewelry for special occasions only, but they do find jewelry really differently because they celebrate every day, not just the big moments. They have incredible high quality pieces that are designed for you to wear your way, whatever your taste, whatever your mood is and whatever your budget is. They drop new limited edition products every Monday and they feature responsibly sourced diamonds and recycled 14 karat gold pieces. So you can sweat, you can shower, you can sleep in it. And if you're like me, you will probably find that you do all of the above. I never take mine off. I just got a few things that I absolutely love. So I got the bold huggy hoops in 14 karat yellow gold. They are the perfect size, the perfect thickness, and they just look so good with everything. And then I also got the diamonds open ring. It's a really dainty little gold band with two little diamonds and then like an open space in the middle. So beautiful, perfect on its own or for stacking. So definitely check those out because I think you guys will love those as well. And if you are looking for a sign to buy yourself the diamond or the gold hoops or the bracelet or the necklace, then this is it. Make your own day and go to Missouri.com. That's M-E-J-U-R-I.com. When you nourish your body, you can transform your life. And with Sakara's delicious plant-rich meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials, you can be in the driver's seat of your own health and experience true transformation. I don't know about you guys, but when my eating falls off, and this is not to say anything else is bad, but when I start eating out a lot, eating more processed things, I start to really feel it and it affects my quality of life. It affects how I show up for myself and for others. But when I am really fueling my body with nutrient-rich foods and not waiting until I'm starving and then eating because I'm hangry and all of these things, I really function at a much better level. So Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. And they give you the tools you need to transform your life with their organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials, like I mentioned. So definitely go to sakara.com. Enter your zip code and just take a look at the menu in your area for next week. They have such incredible meals. They are nutritionally designed. They have amazing chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners that are made with powerful plant-based ingredients. They can help to boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it is all delivered straight to your door. And right now, Sakara is offering my listeners 20% off your first order if you go to sakara.com slash blondefiles20 or enter the code blondefiles20 at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash blondefiles20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash blondefiles20. 
Okay. So I'm just thinking of my own stuff and like the things that I've done over the years. And I can see how like my, my stuff, I never had intrusive thoughts. I never thought that changing something was going to make me feel any differently about myself or my life. It never, you know, affected my ability to function or my, my desire to, you know, get out there or do anything. But I'm curious if people, is this something that people develop young and it's sort of like a, a chemical thing, do you think? Or is it something where somebody could like start to get procedures and be like, oh, you know, this is really easy to change things and then go off the deep end? So I feel like there's, there's like two separate things. So I feel, and I think the second thing you said is still, we have to research it because that's more of like a new phenomenon with like the last 10 years with like social media and the push with surgical procedures and cosmetic procedures. So like open in front of people. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, like my, so there is biological components and there are people that are predisposed to developing it. I can't say necessarily, where did mine come from? I just know like my dad had anxiety, like anxiety was definitely in the family lineage. And I come from a Jewish household and I hate, I can't speak for everyone, but my family is very focused on appearance. And it's like, you look heavy, you look pretty. Like I, my <laughs> grandfather, may rest in peace, like said to me, Robin, you look more beautiful each time I see you, but I will love you if you were ugly. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just, I mean, again, I, I it was just appearance, appearance. Like it was just something that was in my family always talked about. In addition to that, I was bullied for my appearance at such a very young age. So from nine to 12 was bullied by my peers and even my close friend group. So developmentally, I've had trauma. And I use that word because people usually think, oh my gosh, trauma, but it was trauma. It was bullying. It was teasing. It was pervasive. It was a lot. And so I think the combination with the biological predisposition, the family dynamic, and my trauma resulted in body dysmorphic disorder. There is neurological components that we're seeing through studies and functional MRI studies of people with not only body dysmorphic disorder, but eating disorder, and that they compare it to people who don't have it and their brains then pat, like light up differently. So their spatial processing is differently, leading to believe that we don't see things the same way that somebody doesn't have it. But definitely we see that childhood abuse across the spectrum trauma, teasing, overvalued appearance within the, you know, the home or just society can lead to it. So that we do know. Now, not every single person that's bullied is going to develop it and you can develop it without it as well. Now, the second question that you said, I wonder, because I think people be could become obsessed with surgery and I think they can continue to seek it out. The question is, is there a disruption in their life? And maybe one day that's going to be a DSM-5 diagnosis of excessive plastic surgery, of, of continuing to seek it out. I mean, that's because I've, I've heard this a lot from my clients who will go online and be like, but doesn't, you know, you know, these celebrities like have BDD? And I was like, actually, no, because they're like posting before and afters. They're going, you know, like the Kardashians have changed so dramatically that like, but they're still going to the same places they went to 15 mm -hmm. years ago. And they mm -hmm. look like somebody with BDD would not do that, by the way. Mm -hmm. They would be so terrified that someone would perceive them to look different. And that's the difference. So I, it's so hard to say. I think that, that there could be an increase in BDD that maybe was undiagnosed because most, like I said, most people, I went to therapy for like 
12 years before I ever talked about my appearance. So it's like most people aren't going into a therapist's office and saying, I don't like how I look and I feel like I'm a disgusting human being. Like that wasn't what I was saying. So most people are either going to a dermatologist, a plastic surgeon, they're mm-hmm. not going in. I do think possibly in the future, they may be something with regards to excessive plastic surgery. But then again, we look back to, is it affecting functioning? Are people thinking to themselves, like if you, you know, like you said, you just wanted to get tweaks and you just, but you were still living. Was it, was it affecting you to the point where you're like, I feel horrible about myself and like have to get this done so that I can be okay to live. I mean, I don't, who was anybody to judge? If somebody wants to get plastic surgery and they want to continue to do it and want to look young, that's fine. I think it more goes deeply to like, is this how you value yourself? And is it disrupting your functioning when we're looking at a disorder? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that time will come where I would, I would probably say that if somebody developed it later in life, then most likely if you go back into their history, there may have been more like things that, was, that weren't, wasn't necessarily picked up. Mm-hmm. Maybe the DSM will just have a totally new disorder in there that's like hyper vanity or something where people are just constantly, I mean, the Kardashians, for example, allegedly, you know, and, and because I've done things like I have no leg to stand on. I'm like, do whatever you want to do that makes you feel good. But the constant, I mean, this, this constant surgeries and alterations. And then on top of that, Photoshop and filtering. So it's like, well, what, what do you, why did, what's happening? (laughs) But again, and I said this to you before we started taping, you're honest. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I guess no one has to be honest. We can, it's free world. You don't have mm-hmm. to be honest. But remember, as an influencer, as a celebrity, I think you're choosing to be a platform for people to look up to, right? And mm-hmm. I think, so that's the problem. The problem is the Kardashians aren't saying, I got all of this done. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge, like, I don't watch, sometimes I'll binge. And I was starting to watch like their first season. <laughs> And I'm just like, Who are I don't people? even know. And and I will be the first to say, like, I actually think Kim was a, was like really pretty when she was younger. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know why you chose to go into this direction. Like, mm-hmm. but again, I think Chloe had, you know, been open about getting a nose job, but like, I mean, that's not all that they got. And I think that's the other thing. It's like, yes, all of that, but it's like, there's no honesty there. Yeah. And what is that saying to all the kids then? And the kids are saying, no, 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 like this is a glow up. Like this is just them unnaturally evolving. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. That I think is scary. Like I really feel like get whatever work you want to get done. That is totally fine. And again, I guess you don't have to share, but if you're, if people are looking up to you and then they're asking you that question and you're ignoring it or lot, I don't know what, the, I don't know how you're helping people and, you know, and they all have kids. So they should realize that, you know, I mean, and now as a mom, like I'm definitely aware of like, I want my son, you know, and I'm sure it's, you know, it's equal for both, but it's like what they're looking at. I mean, so yeah, I don't understand. I personally don't understand the filter upon filter upon. (laughs) And I have that conversation, like why, but maybe because I have BDD, I don't get it because I'm like, why does someone want to look like a cartoon and then you don't look like that in real life. Like, I I don't, I don't personally get it. I don't.
If you guys haven't listened to last Monday's episode with Shervin, the founder of Symbiotica, definitely go check it out. It's such a good conversation on the fundamentals of wellness and so much more. And we talk about Symbiotica and some of the supplements and why they're so important and why Symbiotica is so different. So Symbiotica is a health supplement company designing sophisticated organic formulations that are scientifically proven to increase vitality and longevity by filling nutritional gaps that result from our modern day diet. And Symbiotica's products have the highest quality bioavailable ingredients and the most advanced delivery system. This is why so many people love it. And I am one of those people. I recently got into their plant protein. So it's not any ordinary plant-based protein powder. It's also a greens powder packed with essential vitamins, minerals, and whole food nutrients. So it's basically one drink with double the benefits. It has 20 grams of protein per scoop, 200 grams of raw greens, 3.5 billion probiotics, 100 milligrams of digestive enzymes, and 1,000 milligrams of adaptogenic mushrooms, which all work together for your health. I also love their B12 and B6. It's an organic blend of the two most bioactive forms of vitamin B12 and B6. B12 is a vital nutrient that supports red blood cell production, mood, memory, and heart and bone health. I took this when I was recovering from my bout of food poisoning and I felt so much better. I felt just my energy coming back. So I definitely recommend that one too. They also have amazing topical magnesium oil. They have a great vitamin D3 and K2 and CoQ10, which is a amazing synergistic formula. They have Shilajit, which he talks about in my podcast episode as well, which I am getting into. It's a plant-based mineral resin that contains over 84 different essential minerals and fulvic acid. It has tons of health benefits. It's a super antioxidant. So check that out as well. And you guys can actually create a custom bundle subscription and get 45% off, which is an incredible deal. So go to symbiotica.com. Use the code blonde at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. This is in addition to custom bundle discounts, so you can get up to 45% off. So create your custom bundle at symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and get 30% off. You can also take their quiz to find the best supplements for your health goals. I have this debate or conversation with a lot of people come on my show and it's kind of about this same topic. Like take a younger celebrity, for example, like a Bella Hadid, completely different person than now, you know, in her early to mid twenties than she was as a teenager. And she also admitted to getting a nose job. And it's like, no, it's so much more than that, you know? But people just attribute that to also, like you said, a glow up or puberty. And I always wonder, like, what is the the right thing? Like, if she came out and said, you know what? Yeah, I had a I had a facelift at 20. What message is that sending to like the I younger equal, people? I think equal could be potentially harmful, right? So yeah. but I think I you know, as somebody who specializes in body image BDD, I I will say that I would rather the honesty be there. I think it's dangerous yeah. to see that somebody would want to do that so young. But with that being said, I think I think of myself like 
if I was looking at images and thinking like these were like, this is what my expectation is going to be. Like, I'm going to grow out of like my, like my bone structure and it's just going <laughs> to change. Like, I, I think that that's setting somebody up for a lot of distress. And I think, so I think it, I, I think, I guess an argument can be made for both directions, but I tend to be more on the honest side and, mm-hmm. and maybe with, you know, and then the question would even come down to is like, why aren't you being honest? Like, I understand you have a right to a privacy, but I also feel like you're, you're famous. Like, so I feel like you have, and, and again, you're kind of in, I used to live in LA and you're in, you know, the industry and you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. It's like when you, mm-hmm. I, my thought is like, when you choose to be in that industry, are you then choosing to have like an open life? Where does the balance of having privacy or not? But I would say this, I think that if your platform is about being a model and it's so essentially your job is about looks, Mm -hmm. then maybe you should be honest about like your platform is wellness and health and, and bringing on stories. So essentially, I don't see why you would have to share that because you're, you know, you're essentially not. But I think if you're claiming to be a supermodel and you're not admitting to the things that you're getting done. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's saying to people. And yeah. yes, I could understand the other side too, but I think I always err on honesty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And like, I know for myself personally, like there's no, I'm not obligated to share about things when I do them, but I just always kind of have, cause I'm like, well, either, you know, somebody knows that this can be done or they know that, you know, I had help or whatever. And I think that like the honesty piece at first, I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't know if that would be like good information for, you know, a 12, 13, 14 year old girl, even younger or older to know that, you know, this person that she looks up to had so many procedures. I mean, I've heard allegedly more like orthognathic surgery, you know, jaw surgery where they're breaking your jaw. I mean, just like endless stuff. But now I think that like, yeah, it's better to be honest and then people can do with that information what they will and people's parents can explain to them like that's what I'm thinking because I'm thinking that that's a a more versus like because I think some of these I mean I actually didn't know I'm so oblivious to things I swear (laughs) to god I swear to god but I like I didn't you know I think some of these people like do look that like, and I think all they did get was like an eyebrow lift with Botox and like, and, and then I have clients are like, no, Robin, like, really? Is that what you, and I was like, I don't, I wouldn't think that someone would go through these ex, like extreme measures, you know? And especially because I don't know if they necessarily needed it. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, so what, it's funny because I always get this, like, then they must have BDD. And I'm like, no, not necessarily. Like, they wanted to change how they looked, but they're not like, you know, like clients of mine or myself when I've been in the depths of it, where it's like, I could not leave my home. Like I would literally in my early twenties, like couldn't maintain a relationship because essentially all I could do was go on dates at night because I didn't want people to see me during the day. So like, mm-hmm. where was, how was I going to have a boyfriend? Like I couldn't really be with them all the time because I only was able to like put myself out there at a certain period of time. And most of these people who are getting this work done, or even people with body image issues may not like it. They may be even thinking about it. They may may even have intrusive thoughts about it, but they're still going out to the parties. They're still going out to the bars. They're still going to work and having their friends. And they're still, I withdrew from everything, like everything. I became a shell of what I was. Mm -hmm. It's awful. And when I look back, it's heartbreaking to me. But yeah, so I think that, 
there may be a, a, a diagnosis or just a convert. It, I think the conversation has to be, why is why are we so obsessed with it? And what's interesting is I almost feel like using the word, this just came to me having this conversation with you, using the word body dysmorphia is like almost like giving it a platform. It's like, that's not what it is. It's mm-hmm. not like I want to get plastic surgery. And like, that's not, you know, I always say like the word body dysmorphia is more related to like body image issues. But I'm wondering now, like, does that just give people the platform to just run and do it and be like, oh, I have body dysmorphia. Like, <laughs> that's not what my story was. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I, I mean, essentially for me, I had an experience where I got a laser, like an IPL treatment on my chest and it literally, a $300 procedure ended me up in three weeks of intensive therapy. I couldn't handle, that's what essentially happens most people with BDD. It's not just getting the procedure. They can't handle the results. Hmm. I couldn't handle that my skin was pink after. Everyone's like, didn't you know? I couldn't handle it. I felt it looked worse. And then I was like, essentially like I couldn't go, I was like going in and out of the mirror, in and out of the mirror. And I ended up like having to take a medical leave for my job, having to go to like intensive therapy. And it was like, I couldn't even do a laser, you know, because I just, it caused so much distress. So again, I think the word body dysmorphia is, is more closely related a little bit with body image concerns and maybe giving more of a positive platform to allow people to be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like I go for surgery or do this or do that. But again, there's no judgment there. I think people should do whatever makes them happy. I really mm-hmm. do. I, I just think if you're in a place of, of you're influencing other people, then and especially in that realm, then you mm-hmm. should probably just be honest about it. Because yeah. like, I, I would just look at them and be like, I mean, obviously, you know, the Kardashians, but it's like, I would look at, you know, people that, and just assume that they look like that. I mean, if you think back to a lot of the models that are forties and fifties, I mean, most of them are, I mean, what they are now, I don't know, but then mm-hmm. they were very natural. I yeah. mean, I think also like with the Kardashians, I think if you're profiting off of, you know, if you're selling things like a skinny tea, but you're getting liposuction, like that's really not ethical, but that's a whole different conversation. And I think it's a really important distinction to make, you know, because I think that this term is just thrown around so loosely and, you know, that it's really, it sounds so debilitating. Whereas for people who may just be really vain and really want to maintain their appearance, like it's not debilitating and it's not fair to compare the two. I heard you on Lala's podcast ask three questions. So I know that my audience, probably a lot of them do Botox, filler, lasers, you know, whatever. And you had three questions to ask yourself before you're doing something like this, right? Right. So I would say, and again, I think everyone, would you be happy if the results were positive? But this is, I'm going to go back and say, most people with BDD don't know what they're looking at. So usually mm-hmm. they'll never get there. So would right. you, and everyone's going to agree to that. Would you be okay if you look exactly the same? And some people actually would not. They would be like kind of very disappointed. And would you be okay if it looks worse? And I want to be clear, like that's the one, like I do that now. So like if I go in for a facial, I'll like kind of prep myself like, okay, like you're probably going to be red after you may have some like, breakouts after like, are you okay? And then I'll be okay with that in that sense of like, okay, I'm okay with all realms here. Like what's going on? I'm going to take that risk. I'm ready for that risk. But I really was not ready for that risk with the laser. And that's Mm -hmm. essentially why I relapsed because I was not, I, first of all, I was in behaviors and compulsions of checking and I felt it looked worse. And in my head, I got 
stuck on this notion that it was not going to get better and that I altered myself in a way that caused permanent damage. Mm -hmm. So I think most people should go, if you could answer yes to all three things, do I ever advocate for any procedures with BDD? Not necessarily, but, but in the same respect, like I always tell people with BDD, like, we're not going to put a brown bag over our head. Like Mm -hmm. you can't say because you have BDD, like you're not going to ever get a cosmetic procedure. You're not going to ever get a little Botox or put makeup on. Like that's not why, you know, the reality is why should someone with BDD be held to a standard that no one else in the world is? Mm -hmm. I think it's about understanding though, the rest to it, understanding like, are you what, like, you can't see it because I'm wearing glasses, but underneath my eye, I have like a very slight, and I know I see it more than others, like melasma. And the truth is, is that I got it when I was pregnant and, you know, I had asked the dermatologist and she's like, well, you could do a laser. And I was like, yeah, absolutely not. And I was just like, I'm just going to have, I'd rather just stay with it. Like mm-hmm. it is what it is. I'm not willing to even do that hydroquinone, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to stay and like, and just accept what it is because I'm not willing to take those risks. And I think that that's a big thing with people with body dysmorphic disorder. You have to see where you're at. And also, what is your drive? Like, if it's just like, I want to get a facial to feel good or get a little Botox and like, but if it's, if you start to see that your thoughts are like, I'm going to be this whole other person, like life is just going to go differently for me, mm-hmm. then it's going to be at that point, I feel like then that's when you have to kind of step back and be like, should I be doing this? Should I not? And I think you have to really ask yourself where your art recovery, but I want to be clear. I don't think it's fair to say to somebody with body dysmorphic disorder that they can't do things to themselves. I just think mm-hmm. they need to be aware of where they are in recovery and what it is. But, you know, I, and I, I, I don't think it's fair to say like somebody can't take care of themselves. I think it's, but it is a fine line and you have to really tread lightly because you could start to do a little and then all of a sudden you could like, and I've seen that. I've had people say to me, but I want to get this done. And all of a sudden they've had 10 consultations with 10 different things. And I'm thinking to myself, but you said you wanted just one thing and you felt, and now all of a sudden you want everything done. I think we need to reconsider what this is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So let's talk recovery. What are the tools for recovery? I'm sure therapy obviously is paramount. <laughs> So I think it's, it's understand, it's definitely understanding this disorder too. It's understanding how it impacts you beyond just what you see, understanding that, you know, it ultimately you need to get into a place of recovery so you can be in healthy relationships. You can, you know, have a life that you feel like you're productive and giving back to. So part of the recovery is cognitive behavioral therapy, exposure response prevention. So for a lot of people with BDD, they're mirror checking, they're Googling, they're comparing themselves, whether in person, online. So it's going to be a reduction in those behaviors. Whatever your compulsions are, we're going to reduce them. There, the cognitive part is a little bit more tricky with BDD because even though we see it like an improvement with OCD clients, changing the thought process it's less effective with BDD. It's more effective when coupled with changing behaviors. Cause like, we don't really believe what we're saying. Like you could, like I could say, Oh, my skin's, it's not as bad. Or like I, but most people with BDD, like it, they don't buy it. So it's usually the, they're going to get the most benefit from doing more of the behavioral work. Mm-hmm. You also see, because there's a lot of trauma, almost every single person comes in with a story. We have to kind of work deeper in that, which is more of a newer thing. So more in depth psychotherapy really building a life outside of your appearance, which is not always that easy. And especially with all these external things coming in, kind of saying you are your appearance, it's not that easy for somebody with BDD to do that. 
because they'll come in and say, but look at all these other people. And I'm like, but they don't have BDD and you can't really, or you don't, you can't base yourself on that. You see how your life is being destroyed by this. Like we have to change. Medication is really helpful. So collaborating with a psychiatrist is going to be very helpful. And they, they do see that it's beneficial the same way SSRI meds are very helpful with OCD. Same is true for body dysmorphic disorder. And just each day, you know, really living in an active decision of like recovery and understanding what this is. And, and like I said, really coming to terms with like, you don't know what it is you look like and not facing your life on appearance. And that's, that is hard. But again, it, for the person with BDD, it's so debilitating to be on that end. It's like, mm-hmm. There's no life. And I mean, it, and it's a very, very serious condition. Trigger warning. One in four people attempt suicide and 80% of people with this disorder have suicidal ideation. That's serious. And there's a huge comorbidity with substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Very big. Yeah. So when we're dealing with like substance abuse, usually we'll say, okay, you need to get sober first. I mean, in an ideal world, BDD specialist would be in like a rehab. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist right now. Mm -hmm. So I've provided like external support to a rehab actually in Malibu where I like went in and worked with some clients that had BDD, but essentially like you want to get sober first because obviously that's like the most important thing. And then you would want to go in and do this work after. But we see a large comorbidity with that. And also there are a lot of people with body dysmorphic disorder that could have OCD or they could also have an eating disorder as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of overlap in some of them, but it's a very, very serious condition. And again, I love that body dysmorphia is out there for the sense that it allows people to want to talk about it. But I'm going to say this, it's not the true definition. And I think a person who struggles with it would let's say see that there is a celebrity. Is it Chloe? Chloe Moritz? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Chloe Grace Moritz. Uh-huh. Yes. She put an article out. And I first when I saw the article, I was like, yes, this is great. And and she actually, what she was sharing with it was super impactful. Like I think a family guy did a meme about her and it was really disruptive to her. Like she was like, I felt mm-hmm. gross. I, she lost me as, she, as soon as she said, everybody has body dysmorphia. And I was just yeah. like, Ooh, that line, just take it out. Please just take it out. The rest of the article is amazing. Like amazing. Like, wow, real experience. Because then essentially a person like myself, I mean, I'm in recovery, but like, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine like reading that because then what do I have? Like, what do I have where I can't leave my home and I don't deserve to be on this planet? Like, so if people are posting and like living their best life, but saying they have it, and then don't come with this backstory of like their recovery and people who actually are struggling, they're just like, I don't believe this, then this isn't what I have then. Then what do I have? And I'm just disgusting. I'm just ugly because that's not what, so I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I see the danger in it is just the overuse of it. And then it leads people who actually have it, who either have yet to get treatment or kind of on the borderline of not wanting the treatment, still wanting the procedures to be like, but wait a second if everybody has it and they seem to be fine, why are they able to like live and I'm not? Mm-hmm. So she yeah. had, the, it was a great article. Look at the article, except when she said, it. I was like, <laughs> somebody should have edited that word out. That yeah. Line where's out. the fact checker? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I can understand that though. Just like with my own experience with, you know, addiction or something, not exactly the same, but I can see how if people were just kind of claiming it, but didn't actually struggle with it like you know I would just feel like well oh then I guess I'm just 
broken. And I could see the parallels too in the recovery. Like when you were saying that recovery is really behavior based. And that reminds me a lot of addiction as well, because, you know, you learn in recovery that like you have to act your way into better thinking. You can't think your way into better or different thinking. At least I can't. Like people think that drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever, it's about the drug or the alcohol. No, it's not. It's about the thinking. So my problem is my thinking. The drugs and alcohol were a symptom of that. And the only way that I get relief from that is by changing my actions, which then change the way that I think and feel. You know, the other thing I was going to say, because to piggyback off of that, which I love about like AA, I don't know if like you did any of that or not, but I I love the fact of like, you have to show up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we should incorporate in BDD therapy because people with BDD do not want to show up (laughs) because they don't like themselves. And so that's something that like I, because I know a lot of people in the 12 steps and I, I just, that's something that I just felt like people with BDD need to take that same like thought process. Like you need to show up regardless if you want to show up or not. Someday you're going to understand why it's important that you're doing that. But that's something that I feel like, what is it like you need to like show up every, no matter what and like be there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm like, that's people with BDD don't show up. And that's mm-hmm. part of treatment too, is like, because they don't want people to see them or they can't handle seeing themselves. They just don't go out or go anywhere. And, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that day is not going to come for a person with BDD. They're not right. going to get that day. They think they're going to get that day. They think mm-hmm. they're going to get the day with the treat. That's, I think that's the other thing is that most people who don't have body dysmorphic disorder actually like what they look like after the procedure. Yeah. People with BDD, that's the pro- Most people with body dysmorphic disorder do not and are devastated, devastated to the point where they want to hurt themselves and they feel botched. So that's the problem. Like most people with body dysmorphic disorder do not walk out and be like, I feel better. They are like having such remorse about what they did. And they are just, and there's this shame factor of like, I did this to myself. Like when I had acne, it's like, yeah, there was shame of having it. But like, I knew that I didn't do anything. When I got the laser, it was like, why would I do this to myself? Like I was fine before I did this. And then I did something to my body that made me get red and irritated. And I did this. And there was so much shame, so much guilt. And so most people with BDD that get any procedure usually are very dissatisfied after. Mm -hmm. So they don't walk out usually feeling like I look better. I look different. This is great. So that's also a very big difference between somebody, let's say, who gets it and continues to get plastic surgery and someone with BDD. They're usually very dissatisfied mm-hmm. to the point where it, it could actually, they can actually get very symptomatic, have very strong suicidal ideation and possibly even attempt. So it's very wow. scary. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's super serious. I think it's way more serious than people think it is. I think that there's such a misconception, like I was saying before, that like, oh yeah, body dysmorphia is like when you don't like things that you see in the mirror and maybe you see them a little bit differently than how they actually are. But I don't think most people really know how truly debilitating and serious it actually is and how disruptive it is to somebody's life. No, absolutely. And and again, I don't want to minimize or take away from person that sees themselves differently or sees, because that is, I'm sure, very just uncomfortable for people and makes them feel 
not great, but, and, and though, you know, you, you have tools to work through that too. This, the same response would be like, you are more than that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to build people up and say, you're more than that. And, and, and to move away from it. And it's hard in today's society. And I don't ever want to minimize a person that deals with body image. I don't, I don't want to say that, like, you don't have a platform to stand on because you do. And like, and, and, you know, and, and I'm almost like at this point, like I used to like have this, like, I don't want to talk body dysmorphia. And it's like, at this point, it's just more, I just educate and I'm like, okay, well, mm-hmm. this is what the, tr- the diagnosis is. And this is what somebody who really has it is. And probably what you're seeing on the media is more closely associated with like body image issues where there's not really this disruption and functioning, but I don't want to take away what that must feel like for a person. Mm-hmm. And I guess at any point could something change where it can become more than something. I think anything is possible. I think we don't hundred percent have just because we have certain research. That's not to say we don't know. I don't know what the research is going to show in 15 to 20 years about the impact of social media and all of this. I think this is going to have a major impact on a lot of things, personality issues, other like, you know, like just everything, because mm-hmm. it's just, it's just such an open space with just a lot of you know, personal freedoms and just people like voicing their opinions. And, and it, there's so many vulnerable people and people that want to hook on to something. And so I think we're going to see more in the future of what currently is going to have like the social media platform and how that's going to impact as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your work is so important and I've learned so much from talking to you and I'm sure the audience has too. We didn't get to get to our questions, so maybe we'll have to do a part two. But I know, but this was so comprehensive. I'm sure we kind of just answered a lot of people's questions in the conversation. Are you taking new clients? How can people work with you? How can they learn more about body dysmorphic disorder? All of that. Sure. So I do practice in New York, Florida, New Jersey, and California virtually. I'm still, I'm planning to get licensed in about four or five more states. So you can find me at the BDD OCD therapist on Instagram or rlsterntherapy.com. And I have a lot of, you know, personal stories and I've done a lot of educational stuff with the International OCD Foundation and the BDD Foundation of the UK. And both of those, the IOCDF and the BDD Foundation are really great resources for people who struggle with body image body dysmorphic disorder. And, you know, I just want people to realize they're not alone. I really want people to just realize that you are more than what you see, regardless of where you fall in that spectrum. And that, you know, I always tell people like when you go online, kind of go online, like knowing, like you're going to see a lot of filter, you're not going to see a lot of reality so that it kind of hopefully gives people a little bit more perspective when going on. But, you know, the most important thing is that you know, you take care of yourself and that, you know, each and every day you strive to do better and that knowing that you're not alone and knowing that there are people out there that can help you, that can support you. And again, I just want to make sure that no one ever feels minimized, no matter where you fall in that spectrum, that, you know, being comfortable with your body is not that easy. But at the end of the day, what the message needs to be is that we're all just so much more than that. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, we have the ability to, be people to give back and change this world. And it doesn't have to be based on our appearance and our physical appearance is just one attribute of ourselves. And so that's just something to always remember when you're striving to change that, to remember that's just one facet of yourself. And there's so many other things that make you a beautiful human being. 
Incredible. Well, I loved talking to you. I'm so glad that we connected and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie. that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.